Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Roger Chang, the executive director at CNET, overseeing breaking news. By the way, for all things digital, CNET should be bookmarked in your browser if it's not. Roger was on the telecommunications beat for Dow Jones Newswires and the Wall Street Journal for about a decade. And boy, he knows his stuff, and I'm counting on him having every one of the answers. Okay, didn't put you too much on the spot, Roger. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm real interested in this topic. It's near and dear to my heart because I think that the state of broadband in this country is just abysmal. And uh, I want to talk a little about that, but also get into uh, uh, 5G. You know, many decades ago when it was all an ISDN world, I had to be like 20,000 feet from the telco central office or else. And, you know, now when I can't get fiber to the house, I'm stuck with shared resources like cable broadband. And they'll do these horrible commercials telling me that they've got gigabit speeds. And then not even in a muffled voice will they mention, oh, yeah, our upstream's about 30 megs or, or what have you. But bottom line to it is even then i pray that i'm in a good node and you know recently we've been looking at different properties and what i've noticed there's absolutely nothing in the mls you you talk to real estate agents about this and you know their their eyes roll around the back of their head and what i'm curious about first off you've really studied this but if somebody is intent on getting good broadband and they're not moving to chattanooga for epb uh, how do you how do you ascertain this before you actually make a home purchase and find out a disaster well, I mean, you, you have to do your homework. As you said, uh, you talk to a real estate agent, and they're, you're probably not going to get good answers. Uh, you know, there, there are broadband maps available. Um, they're not always reliable. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it always helps to do a little bit of research, maybe ask around. Like, I'm a reporter, so I, I like to call people and ask and poll. And so sometimes that's the best way to do it, uh, which, which requires a lot of work. It's not a great answer because it basically requires you to do a lot of homework, um, but it's worth it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the point that you made about this being a near and dear issue, uh, I, mean, I think broadband is a near and dear issue for everyone. It's essentially, it's as essential as electricity, as water, as anything else at this point. Um, you know, it, it's the difference between having job opportunities and not. And so uh, having good broadband is is critical. Uh, problem is, um, it is the the quality of broadband you're going to get, the quality of internet access you're going to get varies greatly depending on where you go, and that's still a big problem in America. It's a huge problem, and especially in rural communities. And you, you see small-town America falling apart by the day. And my biggest frustration is the city managers will come up with a 20-year plan, and they won't even mention broadband in it. And they're talking about how we want to attract business. I don't understand how you could try to attract business without a solid broadband infrastructure, yet this seems lost on the people who are in charge. Or worse yet, they go for a grant, they get bids, and they'll get bids, say, from the cable company, and they'll tout all these down load speeds and you look all through the bid and they never mentioned upstream anywhere in there yeah that upstream is i think it's a an area of interest that really folks are just starting to understand now right the uh, especially now like today like in the era of coronavirus in the era where we're all working from home or many of us are working from home those of us fortunate to have jobs uh, having that upstream having that upload speed 
is uh, is critical. It's, it's interesting that you note that because you know the FCC defines broadband access still as 25 oh. megabits download oh. speeds, but only three megabits upload. So there is oh. even from a, a regulatory perspective, um, there there still is a, a bias toward download speed and and not having it be equal. Yeah, that figure, I know. I heard that when I first saw that, and that was the end of my respect for the chairman right there. And I think Rosenworcel was the only one who was at least looking for 100 symmetrical. Uh, But uh, the S-word doesn't cross their list. Uh, And not only, as you well know, is upstream more necessary than ever if you're going to the cloud or what have you, but when you're talking something as asymmetrical as a gig, if you get it, and 10 megs, for instance, this is a disaster to use and uh, it, it's alarming to me that the uh, that the cable companies get away with it and yet the average consumer is clueless I think that's partly it, it's still an educational issue uh, folks don't quite understand the benefit of, of upload speeds right they get download speeds it's, it's instantly understandable but you know if, if anyone suffered through a video conference call with poor upload speeds, they understand what the quality is like, how the, how awkward those conversations get when when the video feed gets glitchy, uh, when when you're out of sync, the latency is off, and so uh, I think people are starting to understand now. And, and the fact that a lot of us are working from home is, is I think bringing more recognition to that. Yeah, I'm hoping that'll be the silver lining because as more and more of these school districts are talking about online education, uh, fine if they're in Scottsdale or Westchester or what have you, it's probably going to work. But in a number of places, they're they're about to descend into hell without out realizing to the degree that they are. And then when you deal with the shared resources, the cable modems of the world, I love their weasel words, you know, yes, you get a gig up to a gig or whatever, that up to in the real world might turn out to be 20 megs if you're lucky. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, even if you're in a, just your own household, if there are enough devices on there, that, that can really tax the, the bandwidth. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the 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 broadband, the digital divide out in the rural in rural America, uh, and the fact that there's this homework gap being developed. Uh, it's not just rural America, right? There are even, uh, you know, I live in New York. In New York City, there are parts of Queens and Bronx where right. you can't get dependable Internet. But right now, with, with kids working, or not working, with kids at home uh, and reliant on distant learning, they're, they're falling behind every day because they just don't have adequate broadband. And... When you talk about areas like Queens or the Bronx that are so population dense, that's where I see the promise of 5G possibly materializing, because I, I don't think you're going to see 5G, oh yeah, maybe as L, L600 or something, but in any real sense uh, as high band uh, 5G when you don't have that population density. So what is the likelihood that the areas you're talking about that are so population dense and are so underserved are going going to see a rollout of 5G in any way that matters. It'll happen. Just like 4G LTE rolled out in, in a big way in these in these dense cities, you'll see it with 5G. You made the point about the, the low band spectrum that's being used right now, that the 600 megahertz band, for instance, being used by T-Mobile. That's what powers the nationwide network. It's moderately faster than what you would get for 4G, but it's it's not really the 5G that everyone's promising. Right. Um, there is some uh, some level of excitement. I actually just talked to the T-Mobile CEO uh, earlier this afternoon, and he talked a bit about 
uh, using the spectrum that Sprint had, mm-hmm. uh, which is this mid-band spectrum mm-hmm. that is faster, but not quite as super fast as the spectrum that, wire, that Verizon uses, mm-hmm. um, but has better range. So that's sort of a good compromise between range and speed. And, you know, it's out in five major cities, uh, and, it's, and I think Chicago is on the map if it's not already there. Uh, and it's that 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 has the potential to um, to kind of change things because they're offering speeds that are um, something like three times what you would get with the fastest four G connection. So and then and a lot of it is synchronous speed. So um, or at least the 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 synchronous upload download speeds will get there in time. So I, I do have I am excited for the promise of five G, but I, I do. Caution folks to be uh, patient with the rollout because uh, it, it, it arrived with a lot of hype. You know, last year was when it really went live, and I would say it was generally a disappointment. It was either the range was too small or the speeds were too slow. Uh, either way, you were somewhat disappointed, but I think it's going to get better over time. And it is uh, definitely seen as a potential solution uh, here in densely populated cities. Even further out, I don't know about rural America quite yet, but in, in uh, other areas that are less densely populated, there are ways to use 5G spectrum to uh, provide home broadband service, basically a replacement for your cable or for your DSL one. Right, right, wireless broadband of sorts. Now, do you expect that would be mid- mid-band, where you'd get up to 900 megabits if you're lucky? It could be mid-band. It could actually be millimeter wave spectrum. I, I've talked really? to some folks over at Qualcomm, you know, the guys who do the uh, mobile uh, mobile chips, uh, mm. a lot of smart guys there. You know, they, they made the, the point that right now, millimeter wave spectrum, which is that super high-frequency radio airwave that's really, really fast, but basically a short range, the way it's designed right now for cell phones, it, it's sort of spread out all over the place. It has to be, has to be ubiquitous uh, because that's how cell phones, service or cell networks sure. work but for fixed wireless broadband or basically a, a home broadband replacement what they could do is you know, take a, uh, a microwave dish and shoot a specific beam of spectrum into different homes and it, it's a lot less it's a lot more efficient because it's just that tight beam that goes direct to someone's home taps into a wi-fi router and gives you much much more significant speeds i mean with verizon they were touting one two gigabits of, of download speeds and upload speeds that were Pretty strong. I don't know if they were quite synchronous, but but really impressive. Um, and that was just using the kind of basic cellular infrastructure. Uh, and so being able to to use that kind of uh, something that's more optimized for home broadband, uh, it's definitely possible. I mean, it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of investment and a lot of time, but it's definitely possible. Yeah, right now when you're talking the 39 gig range or whatever, your your towers, if you if you get a mile, you're lucky. And so if you're talking about deploying it, where, and you're right, with a fixed somebody's house or whatever, it's certainly not the problem that it is when you're expecting cell service that's mobile. But at the same time, you're still looking, I think, at a lot of towers. You are looking at more towers. You have to keep in mind that those, those towers uh, are a little bit different because, as I sort of said before, the uh, standard cell towers have to be closer to each other because they're kind of broadcasting in all directions, right? right. So if you're able to get, uh, you know, get a uh, fiber connection into a tower that that's near a bunch of homes, you can direct some of that those antennas so you don't need as many 
towers near each other. Okay. Uh, and those microwave dishes are able to kind of direct the signals into into specific homes. Um, it is definitely costly, and it, it will probably use more cell towers than you know than what is currently being used. But I don't think it's as dramatic as the deployments you would see. Like if you if you theoretically would string together a full millimeter wave spectrum network in Chicago, which I know Verizon's in now, like they they would have literally towers on every block, and that's, exactly. that's not really practical. Right. Uh, but the way they're doing it with fixed mobile, fixed wireless uh, is with these kind of direct shots, and that allows them to kind of get a, extend the range uh, so it's not as dramatic. You don't need to have cell towers every 100 feet or so. And, of course, if you can do this, and uh, I always think of it as kind of ubiquities on steroid, because, you know, some of us are, are shooting it that way on, on lower speeds, of course. But if you can if you can do this, then you avoid the infrastructure expense of, say, fiber to the home, which increasingly is, is cost prohibitive. I think even Google Fire, didn't they stop, uh, didn't they stop laying fiber to the house? Oh, it's interesting. They, they, they claim they paused operations back in October 2016. Uh, but they actually announced two new cities this month, uh, one in uh, Utah, Mill Creek, and uh, West Des Moines in Iowa. Um, they, they've altered the plans a bit, so they're not the ones actually putting together or laying down the fiber themselves. I think uh, they, they ran into the problem that basically everybody runs into when they want to build out a broadband network. It is crazy expensive sure. to dig, dig, up these, uh, dig up the ground, lay down fiber lines, and 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 you know retrench everything. It's just infrastructure cost wise, it is too expensive. They abandoned their project in Louisville because right. they they had created a new way to more cheaply, more efficiently lay down fiber. Turned out it wasn't particularly durable, and they they ended up exposing the cable. Um, so it's it's really difficult. Um, but Google Fiber surprisingly is is back. They've two announcements in the last uh, couple of weeks, which is uh, really uh, kind of a shocker. Well, it is to me, too. And they're doing it with actual fiber. It's not some form of a fixed wireless scheme. Yeah, no, they're, they're, well, the issue, not the issue, the difference here is, again, they're, they're kind of relying on the city to deploy out the infrastructure, do a lot of the heavy lifting for them. And right. they are actually deploying um, fiber optic lines there, so they're, they're actually using fiber. That's terrific. Well, and you do see this occasionally in new subdivisions, like uh, in the building phase, that somebody will make a deal with somebody and will lay fiber. And of course, it's easier before the the subdivision is complete in the in the building phase. And I am seeing that in in some areas. But uh, in terms of timetable, I want to get into that. And you know, these are these are great things to expect. And uh, if you got any questions, of course, we'll get into the five G rumors just because they're fun. You know, all the conspiracies, uh, even even though they're nonsense, they're a lot of fun, and all that and more. So eight 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 seven six five five nine three. That's eighty eight eighty eight R O L L Y E. I'm Raleigh James. It's W G N Radio. So I'm Raleigh James. It is WGN Radio, and I hope you'll join us, 888-876-5593. And hopefully you are taking a look at CNET, because it is one of my favorite sites. And uh, if you're into anything tech, it's all there. Roger Cheng is the executive editor, and he's kind enough to spend an hour with us this evening. So uh, I mean that, Roger. I, I love CNET. I think it's just a very well-done site. Uh, I want to revisit something here. You had mentioned, uh, again, Again, if you're looking for maybe a new house or relocate your business, uh, broadband maps. 
I can't find anything reliable, and when I call places, I might as well be talking Romanian to find out real specifics. Like, for instance, in Phoenix, you'll hear that, well, CenturyLink has uh, fiber to the premises and over 10%, and they show this ridiculous little map online you can see. You can go to these places. You're not going to find it. At least I'm not going to find it. And so where can someone, and you talked before, it's, it's not optimal no matter what, but what's the best route to try and find any? anything uh, you know it is a lot of grunt work i think going out and talking to people because um, you know i mentioned broadband maps i mean one of the biggest problems right now uh with getting access to broadband you know the the official broadband maps that are out that the fcc has mm-hmm. um they're faulty right yes uh, commissioner rosenworcel has, has slammed those maps for being inaccurate there are uh you know, according to some of these maps, if one house in a zip code or even multiple zip codes has broadband access, that entire area is considered right. covered. Right. And that's really what sort of the big problem is and, and, and why it's so difficult to find uh, strong broadband or, or, or to get any kind of uh, consistent answer on whether or not the place you're looking at has broadband access. I think there's, there's a lot of... Um, it, it's very murky uh, the way they kind of advertise or, or, or show you where broadband access is available or where it isn't available. I think that's that's part of the that's intentional. Yeah, it, it's a huge problem. And if you're stuck, if you wind up and heaven forbid, the most you're going to do is going to be cable broadband. As you well know, all nodes are not created equal. You can have somebody who says, oh, I love dealing with whomever, and they're in a great node. And then you've got somebody, they might only be a quarter of a mile away, who's just like, I'm out every darn night. And so, you know, you try to interview the neighbors, but many of them are fairly brain dead about it when you get right down to it. And the companies aren't going to tell you which are the good nodes. So it's just one of these things where I guess if you find one, don't ever move. It's crazy. So timetable-wise, when will this no longer be the case? Oh, uh, across America, yeah. it's, it's, it's not going to be a problem. that will be fixed for, for a long, long time, you know, if, if ever. I mean, there, <laughs> you know, the, the folks are shooting for goals for that, that are 10 to 20 years, you know, down the line, right? Which yeah. is, is somewhat realistic. I mean, uh, if, if you really want to get broadband access to everyone, uh, it, it's going to take a while to the infrastructure to build out, you know, as I explained earlier, just the, the cost and the, the time uh, and the red tape of, of cutting into the city's infrastructure and laying down fiber optic cables uh, or anything, really. It, it's it's difficult um, and it's it's very time consuming. So it, I'm not optimistic. It's going to get solved mm-hmm. anytime soon. It will, it will take a while. Uh, like I said, I'm... I'm hopeful that there's a silver lining that comes out of the coronavirus lockdown is that there is more of a universal understanding that broadband access is like electricity was back in the 30s and 40s. And yeah. that there was a concerted effort to get uh, electricity into, into rural communities, into basically every, every home in America. Uh, and there needs to be a similar drive now with broadband. 
Oh, I agree with you 100% about that. You've also got uh, political and uh, economic considerations from the standpoint, you know, I mentioned EPB, which I know you're probably well aware of in Chattanooga, and I've also mentioned on the air before, I actually moved to Chattanooga when they, when they became the gig city, and it was worth every bit of it. Uh, you can't stay there forever, though. But, but that, uh, that said, uh, of course, the horror was that EPB wanted to move on and do most of northern Georgia and the rest of that portion of Tennessee, and Verizon and Comcast and everybody and their brother, AT&T, uh, Charter, joined hands and sued them. And this concept of that you're not going to serve an area, and in some of these cases, the, the people who had the charters weren't serving the areas, but you're going to go to court and prevent a municipality or a power company from serving it. That's delaying things unnecessarily. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you mentioned Chattanooga. We actually went down there uh, back in 2015 to profile the city and, and how that, that gig connection really transformed it. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunately a, a, you know, a, a sad fact that this happens. I mean, that's partly why Google halted their operations, too. They, they faced a lot of legal challenges. The argument was that, uh, you know, Google was cherry-picking certain communities that, you know, can afford it. Um, and, you know, that's been sort of, which is ironic because that's been the knock on some of these uh, cable and telecom companies that, is that they tend to build out in areas where the the customers are more affluent, they're more willing to pay for service. Of course. Um, you know, you, you look at Verizon Fios and, you know, I think uh, a couple years back, New York had sued the company because it hadn't fulfilled its obligations for laying, rolling out Fios to every community in the city as opposed to just the ones who could afford it. Yeah, and you, you do see that. And Fios, for people who have it, they're they're very happy with it. But is that the reason that Verizon pulled back and said, we're not going to offer this anymore? I mean, the reason I think it was ultimately cost and the direction mm-hmm. of the company. You know, the, the, the broadband business at that point was in decline. It was maturing uh, or it wasn't growing, right? Whereas the wireless side of things was growing like a rocket. And so it was investing in that. Uh, the, the money basically shifted towards wireless investment. Now, it's interesting, it's fitting, I guess, because some of the, the BIOS infrastructure, those fiber optic lines, actually served to help uh, augment their wireless coverage, right? Because they were mm. able to, to, to deliver that wireless traffic across those fiber optic lines. But sure. getting to that last mile, you know, digging up those, those sidewalks to get the fiber into direct homes, um, even Verizon kind of hit a limit there. I think initially when when they announced this plan, God, year, decade, well, yeah. A decade, two decades ago. It's been a while. Uh, there was a lot of skepticism because of the cost of that. And ultimately, I think they, they kind of fell short of their goals. They ended up uh, halting that project a lot sooner than they expected because they, they hit that roadblock in, in being able to get to the, the last connection. Um, oh, yeah. What we're seeing now with, with a bunch of solutions is um, really trying to build out the, the core of the network and the, I guess the middle part of the network and then mm-hmm. using some sort of wireless option as the last mile, if you can get to like 200 feet of a house right. uh, or a neighborhood, you can sort of broadcast the rest of it wireless. We actually, uh, CNET had an exclusive on a uh, a project that Facebook unveiled on Monday, this this robot actually that is able to balance itself on, on power lines and kind of like a spider, a, a spool out fiber optic lines that would wrap themselves around existing power lines. Um, now this will probably be more useful in developing countries, which sure the cost of deployment is 
uh, a lot lower. There aren't things like like unions. Um, but it's, it's an interesting solution to getting some of that fiber uh, infrastructure in place, at least in the in the like I said, so the the mid middle right. part of the network. Uh, they still didn't have a real great solution for getting that last mile, but at least that was it was an interesting offer to. Um, to expand or bulk up the the rest of the network. Yeah, and increasingly wireless is getting better, so uh, uh, certainly I would think that if it isn't already soon, it would be preferable over copper. But you mentioned the power lines, and of course the first thing I think about is BPL, which was uh, just just an absolute disaster, to, to say, the, say the least. But uh, 5G, got to go there, because I, uh, I get a lot of mirth out of it, and you probably do too. Uh, the amount of things you see online that we have to stop 5G because it's going to kill us all. Right. Uh, yes, I see a lot of it too. In fact, I had another radio host forward me a YouTube video asking me if this is legit. Oh. Uh, he's not... Like, it was not technically savvy, which is fine. Yeah. But I, I watched this video. It was about, it was like a, I think, an hour long. Video. Oh my I didn't God. watch all of it. Okay. But um, I have to admit, like, you know, there's a, there's a very distinguished sounding narrator who's very serious. There are a lot of graphics and charts. And if, if I didn't, if I wasn't an expert in this area, I would be, I would be somewhat convinced that a lot of what they say sounds plausible. Um, there are a lot of facts that if you know, how 5G works or how the industry works, you recognize is completely false. But if you didn't know those nuances, a lot of the, the arguments made seem compelling. This idea that uh, one, one of the arguments that I've heard is that you know, millimeter wave spectrum, this high-frequency spectrum, you know, the, the, the radiation from it will weaken your immune system and thus makes you more susceptible to the, to the coronavirus or actually is responsible for the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, out in uh, in UK, we actually ended up talking to a bunch of these um, telecom technicians who were harassed, and in one case, I think assaulted, mm-hmm. um, because folks so bought into these conspiracy theories that they they decided to take action. You know, there were uh, cell towers and antennas that were burned yeah. down. Yeah. Um, even here in the U.S., the Department of Homeland Security had to issue a warning to the telecom companies mm-hmm. that their equipment might be in danger because folks who so bought into this were potentially going to take action. And I just want to be clear that this is totally fake. Uh, you know, a lot, the linkage I've also heard is that because China has so heavily invested in 5G and the coronavirus originated there, that the two are somehow linked. Right. Um, and just to, just to like dispel this notion, uh, particularly because a lot of the, 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 the theories point to millimeter wave spectrum as one of the big culprits. Millimeter wave spectrum is actually largely only deployed here in the U.S. It's, it's a bit of an anomaly. Everyone else uses uh, that mid-band spectrum I refer to, the, the, the spectrum that Sprint has. Um, and, and particularly in China, they don't use millimeter wave spectrum. And so, you know, the fact that there were outbreaks in China, there were outbreaks in Europe before it got to the U.S., like even if you just took that argument you know, face value, that is millimeter waves, it's going to kill us all. Uh, they're not even using it. So, like, the, the conspiracy theory just holds zero water. 
Yeah, and the it it does sound good for somebody who knows absolutely nothing. I mean, I've seen some of this too, where it's like, wow. Uh, but I, I have to laugh because we've been talking about how many towers are needed to deploy. Period. Uh, that even if there was any plausibility in this, you'd practically be having to live at the tower. I mean, the the distance alone would would negate what uh, what we're saying. But uh, but it, it's out there, and while we can laugh about it. It worries me that this could slow down development. You know, you know somebody's going to bring a lawsuit if they haven't already. So uh, we're talking with Roger Ching, the executive editor at CNET, overseeing breaking news, and there's a lot of it. If you've got any questions, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, I would anyway, and that's 888-876-5593, R-O-L-L-Y-E, on WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James, and it is WGN Radio, and you're welcome to interrupt me, and uh, especially if you have any tech questions. I may not have answers, but I'm here to tell you Roger Cheng will, the executive editor at CNET, so 888-876-5593-8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E. Uh, you know, it was over, I guess, about 40 years ago when the, when the CD was coming out, and I was radio editor for Billboard, and I ran this cartoon it was a guy saying well i don't know i heard the laser went crazy and killed a family of five and uh, i guess new technology no matter when it emerges has uh, has a certain amount of uh, of fear for people and I, I assume that will never change i i'd bet in your career roger you've heard uh, uh conspiratorial horror stories about a lot more than 5g Oh, yeah. Although, uh, conspiracy theories around 5G stick out the most, uh, well, not just because it's the most recent, but really because folks have actually taken action. Yeah. You know, powers have been burned down. Um, technicians have been, at least verbally assaulted. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, this is, it's one thing to have a conspiracy theory and you talk about it and, you know, you, you have your suspicions, but... Um, it's another to take action. So that's, that's sort of a, another level for me. It is. It, it's sobering. And, and uh, I have uh, I have a, a cellular tower, and I got that letter uh, that you're referring to in terms of there was there was a day that was designated that was supposed to be the day for this. And, uh, you know, kind of got the warning. Fortunately, in this country, little happened. But it is, uh, it is utterly chilling. Now, in uh, waning moments to change the subject somewhat, since you're all things tech, and I know you cover a lot more than than broadband. So Apple and its new ARM chip, the uh, rumor supposedly that the 13-inch MacBook Pro will ship with it by the end of the year. What do you think? Uh, I, you know, that, that surprised me a little bit. I thought, I mean, it, they shipped out a, a Mac Mini with a uh, an early version of the ARM chip for developers. And I thought it would, that would be sort of the, the first product uh-huh. they ship out something really easy because they, they wouldn't have to change anything right. uh, from from the current developer uh, test unit that they're sending out but uh, you know it makes it does make sense in a way because when you when you go to an arm chip you know you get more battery efficiency you have the ability to potentially make things thinner uh, and I don't know if it'll necessarily look thinner at this point um, but in subsequent generations, you can see some of the benefits. Some of the benefits that you see in a phone, right? Because ARM chips are what power phones and tablets. The idea of it being able to pop on and off uh, really easily—you're not—you're not necessarily going to sleep with a computer with a with a computer or a phone like you would with a computer. So I, you know, it's it's an interesting rumor. If that's the case, that's uh, that's a lot more exciting to me because a uh, you know MacBook Air, MacBook Pro would be 
uh, definitely something that I'd be more interested in getting yeah. relative to a Mac Mini. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely promising. It's it'll be interesting to see how they market this product too, and how they tr- try to sell it because you know ultimately, like I get excited about it because I'm a giant geek and I love looking at sort of the the internal aspects, internal internal components of the device. But for most people, you know, they just want a computer that works and that that works better, and so. Uh, they'll likely tout it as more power efficient, um, and that's fine. But I, I'm curious to see how it does hold up uh, next to sort of a traditional, you know, Intel-based processor, which they'll still be selling versions of Macs with mm-hmm. those as well. So mm-hmm. they'll be at some point over the holidays, they'll be sitting side by side. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. I agree with you. They probably won't change the the chassis. They did their little updates. They improved the keyboard, all that. Uh, you know, marketing's funny because the one thing that I would do if I were them to market it, uh, of course, would kind of blast their current product, and that's to say that we've solved our thermal issues. But with that in mind, uh, you're hearing a lot of anecdotal stories on these new uh, MacBook Pros, and to an extent, the MacBook Airs. A lot of people complaining about thermal issues. What do you think's going on? Yeah, I think that's the uh, basically the the root of the, the fact that these things are getting thinner and thinner, and they're trying to pack in more batteries. Mm-hmm. I think the the move to ARM will will mitigate some of that. Frankly, um, you know, you've got uh, basically a processor that runs a lot more efficiently, doesn't necessarily require as big of a battery, and and, and so it you know that that's been kind of I've, I've dealt with that issue too like I've got a MacBook a relatively new MacBook Air mm-hmm. it gets pretty hot especially if I start running a video conference on it oh, oh, yeah. so I, I am looking forward to that day where we have more power efficient chips that, that don't necessarily you know singe the hairs on my leg right and so am I I, I don't know that I want to be my, the first on the block to try it I usually like for somebody else to get a little more of the R&D out of it than, uh, than me as, uh, as the beta user but uh, I, I guess for people who right now are saying, hey, I need a new laptop, should I wait? What do you think? It's really hard to say right now because we haven't actually had a chance to test it. We don't even have the developer unit, so right. we can't really test the, the early rudimentary differences. Uh, it really will depend on when we get like hands-on with this thing because the, the, the differences, the nuances are... Uh, it's it's going to be the little things, and we're not going to know what they're like until we actually get our hands on those. Exactly. Things. Yeah. Now we were talking security last night, and one of the things I brought up, and maybe you have a, an answer for this, uh, is the thing I love about Mac is the ease and simplicity of Time Machine. It's just a joy. Uh, why can't I have that on PC? And what's the closest I can get? The reason why you can't have it on PC is I think it's largely because Apple kind of controls everything, the hardware, the, the software. It's got sort of an end-to-end right. control of everything. Uh, and, and I think that makes it easier right. for uh, for Apple to kind of implement that. You know, Windows, sure. there's, or with Microsoft, you know, you have, we're relying on hardware partners. Uh, and I think it's just something they haven't really done. Um, and it's telling that, you know, even Apple doesn't really tout Time Machine all that much anymore. Uh, I've got one. I've even got an airport, an old airport that um, yeah. acts as the backup. Right. Um, you know, they stop supporting those. They don't talk about Time Machine that much, so it's not necessarily a feature that I think that that folks are touting as much anymore. Uh, a lot of it's sort of cloud backup now, right? It's, it's not necessarily, um, it's not exactly the same thing, but 
basically the idea that you know every all of your data is stored on the cloud is, is kind of what everyone's pushing towards anyway. They really are, and that gets back. You know, we've come full circle from the beginning of this conversation. That gets back to the upstream because uh, you're not uh, you're not going to the cloud without it. And I think two things are, are slowing it down. Certainly, in us uh, senior plus citizens, is uh, we still like the tactile experience of of holding that backup drive, but but also that uh, that fear of well, I don't know about the security of the cloud. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that younger people a- adapt to that very easily. It's a harder sell when you're talking about uh, older people. For sure. And, and the idea of the cloud is such a, if you didn't grow up with technology, right. it's such a foreign concept. That it's, like it's, it's somewhere somewhere physically in a place that we can't really tell you, but it's there in a collection of bits and you can get it whenever you want. Uh, and so like my, my parents who, you know, they're, they're retirement age and, you know, they're, they still won't use uh, mobile payment systems. They won't, right. they won't go on, they won't shop online on their phone. Um, they won't do banking online, even though I've argued that in, in many cases it's actually more secure. Right. Uh, you know, they'll still, they'll still, they'll take a physical check <laughs> Yeah. Over, you know, PayPal or Venmo, and and I and I often tell them like, hey, that you could lose that check. That could just get torn up. That that you know, the, 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 these payment systems are pretty secure. And it's just, it's a it's a comfort thing. It's a, they're not they're not familiar with it. And I think cloud services are very similar. Um, although I will say, my parents have gone into it. I share my iCloud account with them. Wow. Uh, so they take a crazy amount of photos. Um, I, I need every bit of cloud storage I can get. Right, right. And (laughs) that's exactly the lore. When they find out they can share pictures of the grandkids and all that kind of stuff, well, maybe I'll try this. That's absolutely true. So, Roger Chang, thank you for spending an hour with us, and hopefully everybody will go to CNET. And, uh, by the way, I uh, certainly today should have been doing all sorts of things, but I went to the Roger Chang page at CNET and read uh, a good dozen articles you've done literally almost in the last several days. So, good going, and hope to talk to you again. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was definitely a pleasure. Uh, if you do go to CNET, we've got a couple packages right now, one focusing on 5G, which I'm sure you're going to love, yeah. uh, as well as one looking at uh, the kinds of technology, the kinds of areas of technology where, where China is trying to dominate. So it's so a, a series, we've got yeah. two series running kind of coincident at the same time. So definitely worth your read or worth your time to get a chance to read. I agree, and they've been wonderful. And thank you. We will talk again. Roger Chang.